Good morning, church. How are we doing? How are we doing, family? Awesome. Stand and start with the reading of God's word. We'll be in uh, Psalms 145, 1 through 13. Um, feel free to read along with us. It should be on the screen. Um, in the New International Version, it says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that your word will do the work. Lord, that we will rely not on wisdom of men, but on the power of you, Lord, and the power of your scripture and your word. Lord, we thank you that your presence is here this morning. God, that you surround us. And Lord, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would open, open our hearts and our minds. Lord, to receive the word of truth this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in July, I had the privilege of going on a mission trip to Johannesburg, South Africa. And on the way there, we were able to um, stop in Paris and see the city a little bit. Um, it was part of our layover for waiting for our connecting flight. And the first stop was one of the most historic and beautiful structures in the city. It wasn't the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> it was the Notre Dame Cathedral. Has anybody ever been to Paris before? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Britain. Uh, <laughs> it's an 858-year-old church that is still standing and is something that people travel from all over the world to come and marvel at every day. And that's me and my wife, Brittany. Brittany's in the back. She's service directing this morning. Uh, and there we are, in front of the Notre Dame. Um, so it began in 1163 by Maurice de Sully, who, fun fact, he never actually got to see the church finished because he died a few, a few years later after construction started. Um, the building itself didn't actually complete construction until 1345. That's 182 years later. So as we were waiting outside, I look up and to the very top of the cathedral, and I'm thinking, how did they build things this high, like back then? How did they build things this high without a crane? And then my train of thought, because I'm a little crazy, um, I was like, how did, you know, how many people fell off this thing <laughs> trying to build a church, you know, <laughs> like that high? I, I'm afraid of heights. Anybody knows me, and I'm just, I'm a wuss. Um, so the thought, I kind of shook it off, and anyway. So we go in, 
And uh, I immediately understood why the risk was taken. The feeling of being in something so old that is still standing, to feel the cold of the stone as you touch the wall, to look at the light coming through all the stained glass windows. You know, I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm a sound guy, and the acoustics in the place it was almost kind of deafening because there were hundreds and hundreds of people walking around this massive cathedral. And there were voices that were just as in awe as I was standing in the middle of this place. As I stood there, I asked myself, I said, how is this, how is this place still standing after all this time? And then I asked myself, will my church be standing as long as this one? You know, it's so easy to romanticize the idea of building something that lasts. You know, you work for your marriage. You, things that, that are meant to last long take time and investment, right? How many have an iPhone? Yeah, that took a while to build that thing, but it's still, hopefully it's still working for you. Um, if it's an Android, sorry. Um, just kidding. <laughs> here's my point, and here's my question for all of us this morning. It's not, can our church last for hundreds of years? It's, will our church last for hundreds of years? The challenge starts with us right now, in this moment. And this is the challenge, that we are willing to risk our lives for something we will never see the end of. I believe this morning that it is our assignment as a church to last for the sake of those who come after us, that they may know the name of Jesus. Amen. So when I was thinking about, oh, you can take the picture off, Sauter, if you want. Um, I was thinking about things that last. <clears throat> By the way, before I move on to my next point, we are in assignment week two. Um, and the title, if you want a title, if you're taking notes this morning, the title of the sermon is Built to Last. So when I was thinking of structures that are built to last, big buildings, I had to make some observations of what made these structures or these, these things last so long? You know, what went behind building something like a cathedral or a church? And I came up with four different things. The first one is purpose. Second one is foundations. The third is vision. And the fourth is generations. You know, for purpose, things are usually built on purpose, right? You know, hospitals were built to help people. Um, police stations were built to house criminals. Churches are built to have a place in the community for people who worship Jesus. Nothing is never built just because. And neither was the cathedral, Notre Dame. 
Thank God for purpose. Our Lord had purpose, Jesus. If we look in John chapter 4, verse 34, it says, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If you look two chapters later in John chapter 6, 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. To do the will of him who sent me. Church, I think we need that spirit in this house. Where's our sense of purpose? Had it not been the Lord, Jesus, who had his sense of purpose, we wouldn't be here worshiping for our, because of our salvation and his blood and his sacrifice and not just his death, but his resurrection. Purpose. Where's our sense of purpose? What would, ha- what would our church look like? Not every Sunday, but tomorrow. Each of us. What if we repeat it to ourselves every day? I have not, I've come down, sorry, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of exciting. And I'm not here to bash anybody, but our church is moving. God is moving his church. And he wants us along for the ride. But we have to grasp the sense of purpose. You know, we're not just here just because, church. Like Pastor John was saying a second ago, we're not just here to, to sing songs and then eat little pieces of bread and some juice. There's purpose behind that. There's thought behind that. There's intentionality behind that. I believe... We in this house, Grace Point Church, we do have a sense of purpose. I think we need to keep the sense of purpose, remind ourselves of that purpose. Just like Jesus did. He, every day he walked out the door, that was his purpose. It wasn't, I'm going to get the best social media following. It's not, I'm going to get, I'm going to win this argument at work (laughs) this week from that really annoying person who said God doesn't exist, you know. (laughs) It's not about that. His purpose was to do the will of God and to point people to the Father. It's as simple as that. Where is our purpose? Number two, foundations. Things that are built to last have strong foundations. If we look in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, should be on the screen. Just to give some context, Isaiah was a prophet who spoke of the Lord and who was the mouthpiece of God to Israel, but he also prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ. So he spoke of the Lord this way. This is God speaking through Isaiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid the foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes me will not be in haste. In the message, uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course, it says that whoever um, believes will not tumble. 
uh, or toppled, I guess is what it said. But the point is, he's talking about this cornerstone. And if you guys aren't stonemasons, which I don't know if anybody in this church is, uh, or if you don't know anything about stonemasonry, cornerstone was a stone that was chosen to bear the weight of the building. What I did not know until recently was that the cornerstone is a whole piece, pure, strong, no fault lines. It was the choice pick of the stone. And, fun fact, the rest of the building was in uniform to that cornerstone in terms of the grade of stone, the look, the same type of stone, all that. It took its direction from that cornerstone. And the cornerstone determined the layout, the design, the placing of that building, that structure. And I know we hear Jesus is the cornerstone, Christ alone, cornerstone. Those are such nice words, but they mean something. Things that are built to last aren't built off of comfort. They are built on the foundation of something that was meant to last. You know, our church, we have fun. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't worship the Lord and have fun. There's joy in the Lord. And it's not this, not just this holy, reverent kind of joy where I can't feel any type of happiness whatsoever. Because there's a time for that, and I think we all should be walking in reverence. But there's nothing in the Bible that's against Shouting. Actually, the Bible encourages shouting and praising him and having fun. However, the church is not built on fun. It's built for longevity. And when we build on something that is futile, temporary, emotional, brittle, could go on and on. When you use a cornerstone like that, that determines the rest of your building. Why not build on something that was meant to last? Why not build on Jesus? We don't use the cornerstone of tradition the way things have always been. We don't use the cornerstone of preference That's the way we like it. That's the way I like it. No, we build on the cornerstone of Jesus and his word. Because he's the only pure thing about this life that we have to keep us up. Number three, vision. We have vision for new direction. Things that are built to last, like the Notre Dame Cathedral, started with vision along with purpose. It wasn't being built just because it's going to look cool for the next five days. But people had to ask, where is this going? What's the world going to be like in 800 years? How beautiful will we remain? You know, I think sometimes in the church we can get sight 
to see what's right in front of us, but we lose the vision of what's out ahead of us. Vision is crucial to building things that last. Otherwise, you're just a boat in open waters. Habakkuk 2, chapter 2, verse 2 through 3 reads, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It might delay. Is that what it says? It will not delay. Church, we need to wait. We need to have the patience to see these things come to pass. Just like I was talking about with the Notre Dame Cathedral. They didn't stop after 10 years. They didn't stop after one year. They took as long as it needed to take to build that building. I'm glad Jesus had vision. I'm glad he saw, he knew of the generations to come, what we needed today. He had the patience. Even when people were spitting in his face, slapping him around, mocking him, he waited. He always used that phrase right up until it was the right and proper time. He always said, my time has not yet come. Because it wasn't about him. It was about the Father and his will in our lives. You guys hear me this morning? Let's have patience to wait. But waiting doesn't mean not doing anything. We need to run with the vision. Waiting upon the Lord to see what he wants to do and not building it off of our own patience. If you find yourself an impatient person this morning, I encourage you, ask the Lord to give you his patience. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Joel A. Barker, a businessman, um, he's a business author and a motivational speaker, and he wrote this about vision. Vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. Vision with action can change the world. Church, we can change the world. But I, I challenge us to reflect on this. Where are we in this process? Are we a church that has vision with no action and we're merely dreaming? Are we all action but no vision and we're just passing time? Or do we have the faith and the courage to plant, to 
pair vision with action to make change. Generations. Today is Generation Sunday. I find it appropriate to talk about generations. I'm going to read the psalm we started with once again. But I, I'd like you to reread this and hear the spirit behind these words. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Not one year, not two years, not ten years, forever and ever. That's not in the scripture. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. There's compassion in this room this morning for you. There is rich love in here for all of us. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all, all generations. Can you feel that? Do you feel the spirit come off of those words? Is it saying fight? Is it saying disagree? Is it saying win over arguments or push people out who don't look like us or think like us? The goal of this psalm here is to praise the Lord through all generations, that all generations might know his good works. You know, things that are built to last, they, like the Notre Dame Cathedral, it's not an empty building, church. There have been generations upon generation upon generations come in and out of that church. And here's the fun thing, too. There's a lot of non-Christians in that place. Unbelievers who have come to marvel at something that was built in the name of God. It tells the story itself. God does the work. Though people have died, the original creators will have never seen what it's become today. God has made purposeful. And it stands as a beautiful structure, respected by academics and people who like to look at Gothic structures. Here's my point is that if we want to build something that is to last here, if our church is built to last, taken from the psalm, it needs to be built on the praises of God. 
We need to praise him. He's our firm foundation. And here's another thing. For those of you who are visiting this morning, this isn't for you, but this is a reminder to our family, our members here, the church, is that we have the culture and the responsibility to build for the next generation. It's not just a nice phrase. If you can't tell from the shirts and the sign in the back and the campaign that we're doing and everything else that we're about here, we are about the next generation. I love serving next to Pastor Rich. The man just oozes vision and purpose, and he cares about the foundations, and he cares about the next generation. I don't want to serve in it under anybody else because it's the next generation that picks up the praises of God. It's the next generation that tells of our legacy and how we were faithful to the Lord and how they can encourage their kids and their kids' kids on how to be faithful to the Lord. It's a culture to be set. And if there's anything I've learned, it's that culture is caught. It is not taught. And if we want to build the culture of the next generation, then we need the generations to set that culture. Now, I know, and here I am to address something because I was not sure how to address it. There is tension between generations today. We have the boomers talking about the millennials and the millennials talking about Gen Z and all these other generations who are just fed up with one another because they look and think and, and do differently. And what, what one generation thinks is encouragement to another, the other generation thinks that they're just bashing on them. Not, not in this house. You know, this morning the Lord gave me a really cool analogy. I thought it was quite funny. Um, challenge you to think differently. Consider the quarter. If you place a quarter on the table and you ask each generation to pick up the quarter, one generation says, I'll just peel it up off the table. Easy. Right? Another generation says, I'll just sweep it off, put my hand at the edge and catch it. And then another generation says, it's too simple. They flip the table, and the quarter falls on the floor. And as it bounces, they catch it and say, look, I got the quarter. What was the point of the task? To pick up the dang quarter. And what we look like is saying, no, you're doing it wrong. It's too old school. You're too new school. No, the point was to pick up the dang quarter. Church, it doesn't look like, it doesn't matter what it looks like, when, how the next generation spreads the word of the gospel. It doesn't matter how old school the seasoned people seem, the way they do things. The point is to pick up the dang quarter, to run with the vision, to preach the gospel and to make the name of Jesus known. Use social media. Use your coffee break at work. But do something. Don't just complain because somebody else is doing it wrong. You know, we can actually learn, us younger people, we can learn the simplicity of just peeling it off the table. But I think the seasoned people, 
That's what we called older people in this church. The seasoned people, I think we can learn a little bit about the fire behind flipping a table and trying something new and getting excited. But just pick up the dang quarter. (laughs) Stick to the point of what Christ wants us to do. To love the Lord our God with all our hearts and to love each other as ourselves. This is the greatest commandment. And the second or the third thing that he told us to do is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. This is the attitude we must take. 1 Timothy 5.1 says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, young men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Family. We are a family. We must work together like a family if we're ever going to last. Here's what I'm trying to tell you today, church, is we are meant to last. We have the responsibility and the assignment to last as long as we can until Jesus comes back. And the thing that is supposed to last here in this place before it's ever a physical building is a spiritual temple built on the foundation of Jesus Christ through the gospel in harmony with one another. I see our church pouring in and out of people from all generations with one constant, the cross. Think about this. I wasn't going to use this quote today, and it's not on the screen. It's okay. Slaughter. But it's by William Carey. He said, I am not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. What are we doing? What are we succeeding at that doesn't matter? I challenge us to tear those things off and run with what does matter. The choice is up to each and every one of you, and to myself included. If you'd like to sit there and agree that dreams are great, and you just want to be a dreamer, so be it. But if you want to build a memorial to the Lord, we have to take root in the house of God and stick with it, church. We have to be patient with the vision. We have to build on purpose. We have to have strong foundations and recognize that the next generation matters. Just like Maurice de Sully, we may not get the satisfaction of seeing our work done, but future generations will thank us for it because we waited and we did not delay. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to be a church that lasts. God, and you've equipped us. You've equipped the saints with spiritual gifts. You've you've equipped us with vision and purpose. Lord, I thank you that you've given us tools to build strong foundations, God. And I pray that you would set the fire in our hearts to recognize that we need each other. That it's about generations. Lord, you saw the generations as you were on the cross. You thought about us as you rose from the grave. Lord, we will not let you down. I refuse to let you down. I refuse to let the kids down, down the hall, our grace kids. I want to learn how they worship you. I want to learn how we can help them succeed in spreading the gospel your way, not our way. 
We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.